Hello, 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 my fact friends and fiends. Thank you for returning to our second part of this deep dive into James Hoffa, more fondly known as Jimmy Hoffa. We had one absolutely wild ride with that first part. Please go listen to it if you have not yet. You need the context. Or if you think you've got enough context, well, here you are. Let's thank Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and Raphael that Matthew Robinson is back to join us. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> thanks for bringing me back. What do you mean, thanks? I'm, I'm the one thanking you for coming back. Well, it, was a, it was a pretty big cliffhanger. So, you know, it's like the past week I've just been like thinking about Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't look anything up. I've Even though good. I told you not to. I've been good. I've been good. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, last episode, we did a huge history and mystery. And also one of those old time questions that we've all asked ourselves or a variation. Who was Jimmy Hoffa? Where is Jimmy Hoffa? Now we get why this is a two part episode. Because <laughs> Elizabeth, how did you have the patience to go through all this material? Honestly, I have no idea. But... <laughs> When I started, I couldn't stop. So here we are. Of course, allow me to remind you why I even began this trek in the first place. Yes, it did start with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> what great story doesn't. The moment where they ask Bob Hoskins to pop the trunk and he says, What do you think I got in there? Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> but then there's the legendary Golden Girls gag where Rose says, I found something. And then you have Dorothy respond, Judge Crater. And then she later says, I found something. And B. Arthur says, Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> why are we laughing? I know I just called Matt out. I know. But why are we laughing? It's is, funny. <laughs> but is it is it the timing of the joke? Is it my timing? Do I have legendary timing? If I do, someone tweet me. If I don't, <laughs> say nothing. <laughs> Thank you. But... I wanted to know, why is this person that I did not know much about funny to me as a punchline when I did not know why? Mm -hmm. And guess what? We found out in part one who he was and where the whole mystery started. And you know what I realized? I'm not laughing. And it's not funny. Maybe my jokes were just then. The timing's funny. Thank you. <laughs> it's all in the timing. <laughs> But, you know, some people are good and do bad things. Some people are bad and do good things. And some people are just people and follow their conscience and try to navigate the world that they're in. Call those neutral neutral. <laughs> That's where I'm at with this story. I can't put an answer to the man Jimmy Hoffa was. But what I do know is that there would not have been things that we have now if it weren't for him. And I can't say the world is not a better place for him having been in it. So in the first episode, I hit you with a roller coaster of a biography. And a roller coaster it was. We went left, right, up, down, diagonal, and zigzag, and any other ways you can think of. This time we're going to hit you with the roller coaster of theories. So let's get into what happened down Telegraph Road. So, Matt. Yes. How did you feel when I dropped you off at the cliff <laughs> last episode? I was like, man, you've just made me really like this guy. At least me personally. I'm more invested in him. I have much more respect for him. And I know that car ride is not going to end well. 
and then you you, you stop. You know, and I'm like, oh, I, I, now I want to know because I want to know like, okay, where did this go south? Was this simply a hit for because of he he wanted to run for union president? Was it more about just like he was you know making enemies of the wrong people? Was it the government going back on him? It's like there's now I have all these other questions because his relationship is so much more complicated to organized crime and the world around him. And so I was like, wait, wait, but I, I'm guessing that the Irishman took some liberties with, with his, <laughs> as I imagine when I watched the movie, um, it took some liberties with his, uh, his story. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because we will get to where the Irishman film comes from in relation to this story. So last episode, if you've forgotten, it's been a week. Unless, you know, you're listening later and you get to do back to back. And (laughs) in that case, the cliffhanger was more of a cliff minute. (laughs) We left off with witnesses placing Jimmy Hoffa walking away from a hardware store across the street from the Moccas Red Fox to his car in the parking lot around 2.45 p.m. on July 30th, 1975. A Mercury marquee occupied by three men, two in the front, one in the back, rolls up. Hoffa is seen getting into the car, and the car drives away on Telegraph Road, never to be seen again. Or so we think. Let's jump into what could have happened. All right? All right. So, again, please listen to part one or be very familiar with all of the major players in his life, because I'm not going to re-explain them. All right. (laughs) If you think about it, 1975, one of the most prominent figures in the labor movement has disappeared. Not prison, not died, not murdered, disappeared. Thus begins the fascination. Mm-hmm. His wife, Josephine, which by the way, that's the last call he ever made. She began to call to look for him. James P. Hoffa, his son, and currently a Teamster leader, by the way, as of this recording. Mm. Yeah, he grew up to be a labor movement person as well. Was on the news asking for information as to his whereabouts. He's a grown adult. Hoffa's in the 60s at this point. So, of course, he's got grown children. (laughs) The FBI observations were that there were numerous meetings of the Mafia Commission in the following days after he is reported missing. However, this is 1975. We know how seriously missing persons aren't taken. And adults had the right to go missing. So here's an adult man who walked into a scary as hell situation and nah, he's fine. No concrete shoes, nothing. This isn't a man who's got a target on his back. He's not a public figure who goes missing. We should look into it. Apparently, people had taken shovels to open land in the metro Detroit area at the time to find any evidence. And there were so many people calling in tips to journalists and the FBI that it's astounding, and they could hardly keep up. The notion was the FBI would eventually solve this case. They had a handle on it. And I think we all know uh, they did not. (laughs) (laughs) The case remains unsolved. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. I'm not about to solve the case for you. (laughs) But there are theories, and there are some really, really good suspects that will just knock your socks off. All right, so let's get into them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's time. If you were to think of a suspect from the last episode that we talked about, who would be top of your list? Oh, you know, I would say, I would say that, um, pro would be definitely Tony pro. Tony pro. He was supposed to meet with them. He's supposed to be burying the hatchet. 
easily could have set him up, had some sort of thing here. He knows he's finagling to get his own power and the union get the pension. He would definitely be at the top. Let's, um, let's talk about him. Yeah. So Tony Pro, we can't leave him out. He was supposed to make peace at the Marcus Red Fox. As we said in the last episode, Tony Pro was a captain in the Genovese crime family, which is often considered to be the most powerful and well-run of the New York families. And if we forgot, they were jailed together, too. Some words were said, some hands were caught. Tony Pro had Teamsters Local 560 in North Jersey, and Hoffa was trying to make peace with him in that Marcus Red Fox setup. He denies on film that he was supposed to meet with Hoffa in a strange, seemingly shirtless interview. Like he's <laughs> playing in the sprinkler with the grandkids. And like, why is that image so funny to me? <laughs> like, it is a little funny because it's like, that's not how you expect them to be like in like a suit and everything, like in yeah. a chair, like for a documentary. And instead it's just like him on a slip and slide. Well, like, no, he's like a, it's like a journalist came up to him in the backyard and like, look, gangsters are people too and have families. I mean, that's how it all works. You don't right. recruit members, you make them. <laughs> right. But Very he, bold, this journalist. I know, right? <laughs> Just rolling up into Tony Pro's yard, not fearing bullets. Gosh. But let's be honest. There is some sort of connection because he was in the story. But again, this is a pretty easy solution. Of course they're going to blame Tony Pro. They just used his name. Right. So, FBI throws that out. Really? Naturally. Anybody else come to mind? Ooh, who's the, uh, the crime king of the South? You know, you've seen the little sketch. Oh. Tra- tra- Traficante? Traficante, yeah. You know what? Put him in your back pocket. Okay. Because I want to tell you about some other people first, and then we're going to get back to him. Okay. Do you remember the Giacalone brothers? Yes, Detroit yeah. family. Yeah. First suspect, Tony Giacalone. Remember, he was supposed to be there at the Moccasin right. Fox. And Tony Giacalone is very high on that suspect list. Because he was supposed to moderate, correct? Yeah. He was allegedly smart enough to run one of the big three, you know? Hmm. And was considered to be a deeply intimidating man to the average person on the street. Hmm. Photos of him show him sporting, like, a plaid sport coat or flashy clothes. And, yeah, that takes a lot of grit to pull that off. A lot. Right? <laughs> I doubt none of this about him, right? He's also got the perfect name for a crime boss, Tony Giacalone. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good one. And, like, I, growing up as a child of someone who has a deeply imposing presence, naturally, and also being told constantly that I have one myself, I know the feeling when someone tells you to your face that your missed opportunity was as a mafioso. Mm. I never know what to do with that information other than <laughs> to respond with my classic, you're going to die look. <laughs> I mean, how do they know, know you're already in one? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you look, you be the crime family. Like, I am. I do t- know a lot about the crime. <laughs> I do know a lot of information here. Where did I get it from? <laughs> <laughs> Stop digging, kid. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a box. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is I know nothing and uh, you can't pin anything on me. <laughs> I'm too cute. Uh, so apparently, Tony Giacalone... He was at the Southfield Athletic Club for the day of the disappearance. Mm -hmm. So despite being this like gruff, taciturn dude, right? He asked nearly 50 people for the time. Did he not have a watch? Mm -hmm. 
this man did not converse with the general populace, right? But he's out there shaking hands, asking people how their day is, out there running for mayor of nothing. <laughs> and, and also making people, when they hear him after the time, be able to, if they're ever questioned, yep. being able to say, like, no, no, I saw him, and he asked for the time, and I said it was, you know, like, blah, 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 like, two o'clock. <laughs> because this is deep innocence right there. That does make an alibi. Absolutely everyone saw him. He was Mr. Universe that day. Mm. Every other day, talk to him and you're going to get a bullet. Mm. According to FBI surveillance, Jack Toko, the acting boss for the Detroit family, and obviously directly related to the founding father, had come to South... Blah, blah, blah. Had come to the Southfield Athletic Club to meet with Tony Giacalone. So... Tony Giacalone is a street boss. This is the big boss. This is the godfather. <laughs> they were not close and did not often meet face to face. What a move. <laughs> what a move. On the day he's supposed to meet Hoffa, is anyone else putting 12 and 12 together? I mean, <laughs> huh, what time is it? Hello, how's your day? That's bananas. Very suspicious. Sus AF. I'm going to leave that one there to sizzle. But Tony Giacalone, he's pretty up there. I would get that, too. So here's another suspect. He's going to enter the chat now. Chucky O'Brien. Now I have not said his name before. Chucky O'Brien was sort of a son to Jimmy Hoffa. He definitely saw Hoffa as a father figure. I saw um, a clip of him being interviewed on the street. And they were like, are you going to see your father again? And he was like, I sure hope so. But everything I've read said that he was a father figure to him, right? He's also close friends with Tony Giacalone, which makes sense because Hoffa trusted the Giacalone brothers during this. So never, well, I would not say never, but during this process, the Giacalone brothers were on Hoffa's side in Hoffa's mind. Mm. All right, so Chucky O'Brien, he was said to be in possession of Giacalone's son's car that afternoon, and the car that Hoffa was believed to have been kidnapped in. The speculation that really got the FBI's goose here. Why did Chucky O'Brien have the Giacalone kid's car that day? This would all pin it on Chucky. He would have had to take Hoffa from the Marcus Red Fox down Telegraph Road. However, he's regarded as incompetent and a liar, Again, too simple of an answer. Why not boost a car? Why is he still alive? He's not a member of the mob. Right. They have people who do this better. Why would they use him? So this answer is completely written off. Hmm. All right. Okay, I'm following. I'm following. So they wrote off Chucky. And to be honest, I think Chucky's out of the, the whole thing. But he was a pretty big suspect for a moment. We're going to go on to someone who is, I think, an extremely compelling person, mm. Sal Bergoglio. So an eyewitness sort of ID'd Sal Bergoglio as a possible suspect in the disappearance of Hoffa, but the FBI couldn't seem to suss out whether or not this witness's information had been influenced by heavy media coverage. Mm. A challenge of any high-profile case. I mean, really... Who killed John Bonet? Media, 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 media. Right. But if you listen to our John Bonet Ramsey episode where we did not talk about the media whatsoever, you might have a different opinion. Mm. 
Bergoglio was considered old school, like one of those classic mobsters where it's all just business, right? There was an FBI informant and convicted murderer who identifies him and the Andretta brothers as the men who had killed Hoffa. And that's three men, Mm -hmm. three in the car. They allegedly did it for Tony Pro. Oh, snap. I mean, that's a pretty good uh, motive. Am I right? Am I right? I mean, I'm certainly leaning towards that. So that person is Ralph Picardo. So this is our first big theory. We'll call it Picardo's story. (laughs) (laughs) So according to him, these three men stuffed Hoffa into a 55-gallon drum and shipped him to an unknown destination via gateway transportation. This would incorporate the Genovese crime family hierarchy, as the men named in his tale are all in positions of power at the top. Remember, Tony Pro's a captain. That's up there. There's not many captains. However, does it make sense to keep Jimmy Hoffa in a 55-gallon barrel when there are easier ways to dispose of a body? Way easier. But the FBI doesn't really take this one seriously. I have many a counterpoint. You know what Jabba the Hutt said? He said, put that Han in some carbonite and hang his ass on the wall. That's really going to tie the room together. <laughs> it does bring the feng shui of a desert, you know, warlord's palace. I'm just saying. I also have to ask, don't you think they would have thought the FBI would think that? It's a bit too extra to do this. Right. I mean, the extra step does get away from the disposal, which helps with the degree of separation. The FBI is thinking, would they really just, like, cart a body across the country? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Plausible as hell. I mean, we have Teamsters. Yeah. They get union rates. Just, hey, take these barrels down. All right. Yeah, and they don't know it's their beloved, like, president, right? Right. And the mob is known for sending a message. How better to send a message than send a message? Literally and figuratively. Right? (laughs) And around this time... Two men were murdered the night before they are supposed to testify in front of the church committee, which is the Senate committee investigating the clandestine CIA mob plots on Fidel Castro's life. Those men being Sam Giacana and Johnny Rosselli. We'll touch base on that in a moment, but think back to part one. Who else had an elbow in that picture? Mm, the guy who might have owned that building. His name is Jimmy Hoffa. Yes. So The Miami building. When Bergilio was, and his lawyer, they were together in this, were interviewed by a journalist. They're like, really? And they say, quote, you're better off asking the CIA to investigate the FBI and the FBI to investigate the CIA. And then you'll have your answer. <laughs> that is a hell of a statement. Yeah. Very ballsy statement, too. Especially to a reporter. So, I actually heard that statement, like, heard them say it. Wow. Um, that, that auditory soundbite does exist. So, the first theory really boils down to Sal Bergoglio being the handler of the event. So, Picardo's story is deep, it is dark, it is murky, and it is plausible. Mm. We're going to move on to another suspect. One... That might take you for a ride. Do you remember, again, the CIA mob clandestine 
failures on Fidel Castro's life. Roland McMaster was a part of that. He was um, called Hoffa's right-hand man. Now, this, this guy, Roland McMaster, he was a big guy. He was six foot seven inches tall. He had a Ooh. glass eye, and people found him both intimidating and larger than life. I can see that. Like a film villain, you know? <laughs> but I think that there's something to the certain types of creative villains with these, like, characteristics uh, coming from children who were in proximity to these kinds of people, and then they tell stories, and then their friends grow up, and then those friends make movies. Makes sense, actually, yeah. But, you know... I do not like those villains because I'm like, my dad's a very tall, like, gruff dude, and he's not an evil villain. He's just a dude with the personality of, like, Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) And that, to me, is endearing. (laughs) So, rude. But, film villains aside, McMaster was actually a business agent for the Teamsters. And he had a major involvement in union activities, such as getting votes and organizing whatever rallies and meetings. Do you remember who McMaster's worked with in Miami? Oh, uh, uh, I was just talking about him. Yeah, I told him. I told you to put him in your pocket. Uh, what I, I always want to say Traficino, but that's close. Traficante. Traficante. Just think that he might have his own like type of dip, like salsa, <laughs> like pecan. Traficante. Right. Yes. Santo yes. Traficante in Miami. We established that in part one when um, we hit that you know Eisenhower Cuba situation. There the part is. the church committee's investigating. Friends across the river. Oh, no. So, however, Hoffa blocked McMaster from getting an office while Hoffa was in prison. Hoffa did know how smart McMaster was. And though many people wrote him off because of his appearance, considering him to be just like an unintelligent piece of muscle. Hmm. No. (laughs) After denying him an office, Hoffa and McMaster became enemies. Hmm. So people outside of law enforcement, those doing, like, investigative reporting and research, still believe Roland McMaster had a part to play in the disappearance. Sorry. Why would you make an enemy out of a six foot seven inch guy of a glass eye who also knows where a lot of the skeletons are buried? Well, he probably had a reason for not letting him have a certain office. Right. Maybe it's because he knew how closely he was tied to organized crime. That makes sense. That's, that's just a theory. That's all alleged. This whole episode is alleged. <laughs> alleged asterisk. Yeah. I'm going to put that in the episode description. <laughs> but those doing the investigative reporting and research still believed Roland McMaster had a part to play in the disappearance. And that because he knew so much of the Teamster businesses and like what happened with and without organized crime factions. And he was very much trusted by those factions. He'd probably know like. He probably knew what happened to Hoffa, if not was directly involved. Right. The one question I did not get an answer to. Listen, my dad is six foot four. There are a lot of cars he just does not fit in comfortably. Was Roland McMaster in the Mercury Marquis? Witnesses would have noticed a giant dude with his knees to his nose. (laughs) My poor father could barely fit in my old Ford Focus. Mm. Did anyone bother to check? Moving on. Good question. I want to know. Don't you think that, like, we didn't move on, clearly. Uh, 
did anyone bother to check, like, the witnesses? Did you see some giant dude, like, knees to nose? Right. And I'm, how comfortable. You know, you you to get someone who's close to that size to be like, sit mm-hmm. in this car. Can you do this? Just get him do, to do it. Hi, yes, we're going to have you get into a Mercury marquee. All of the seats, please. We're going to have this fully loaded with men. Is this know. what you saw? I want to know. Like he, he, had, he definitely was riding passenger. He was... Know? He was... Duct tape to the bumper is how I feel. Because two, like, that car was full of grown adult men. And if I remember correctly, a Mercury Marquis was a two-door sedan. Mm-mm. You, you see where I'm going yeah, with this? Yeah, no way. Why would they take that car? Yeah. Well, they would take something bigger. At least a station wagon. At least a woody wagon. Like, or, you know, I, I have so many questions. <laughs> I could be wrong about the two-door part, but I really don't think I am. All right, so in the time leading up to Hoffa's disappearance, right, Hoffa supporters in Detroit were under attack. House fires, car bombs, businesses trash, you know, just casual business you'd see from people just supporting a candidate over another. Mm. Well, sort of. I mean, was this Sparta or America 1975? (laughs) Businesses were getting bombed, but there was a strategy to it, wasn't there? Mm. That big bad union and that big bad Jimmy Hoffa caused all this. Except the action was happening to his supporters. Right. So why would he do it? Hmm. There was a car bomb in Little Fitz's car. The son of the acting president, Frank Fitzsimmons, that went off. Now, the two speculations were that Hoffa was trying to kill Frank Fitzsimmons or... That someone within the Teamsters was trying to make it look like Hoffa was trying to kill Frank Fitzsimmons. Because, mm. honestly, why would he want to kill him? Right. It makes him look bad. But also, he's going to beat him regardless. Right. Why make it... Why? Why? You just got out of prison. Why put yourself possibly yeah. in prison with someone you could beat fair and square? He also doesn't need that tactic, you know? So all of this violence would go up until about 20 days before the disappearance. Would it not stand to reason that those actors would not also somehow be linked to the disappearance. The other question is, the Detroit, New York, wherever families, they have so many people better trained to do the job. Essentially, they had their own homegrown hitmen. Why do they need Roland McMaster instead of doing one of their own things? Right. So could Roland McMaster either have had his own agenda or an agenda that worked in parallel with the crime families for that moment? Did he do something within the Teamsters that correlated with what was they were doing? Was he involved, etc.? Right. We'll put a pin in that. Oh boy. So another suspect, very intriguing, mm-hmm. Tony Palazzolo mm-hmm. or Tony Powell. He's recorded during a money laundering scheme in Detroit. Of course. That's how it works. An RCMP officer posing as a European drug importer doing business by way of Canada is with Tony Pell. And Tony Pell takes him to a sausage factory. (laughs) They're in conversation and Tony Pell points to the meat grinder and is recorded saying, that's where Jimmy Hoffa was. That's where we put him. Good Lord. Oh yeah. So in the 2000s, Tony Pell is a Detroit captain, but back in the time that he was... Um, involved with it or would have been involved with it. He was just an up-and-coming soldier in the Detroit family. 
do I put stock in this? Not really. No, I mean... Because you wouldn't have fucking told. Right, and it's also like you're kind of just joking around, just kind of like, oh, do you think I got hop in the trunk like you were talking about earlier? It's like, he's like, yeah, that's what we put off of, you know? But... In in the meat grinder. The meat grinder. Sausages probably tasted very weird if they did that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so now we have a confession. This is going to be the one that's going to blow your mind. Okay. Frank Sheeran. Mm. He was a Delaware Teamster president, claimed to be a mob hitman, and a close friend of Jimmy Hoffa. He also claimed that it was under orders of the mob that he shot Hoffa two times in the back of the head at his house to prevent him from running for Teamster's presidency. He makes his claim in 2003. So, he used to be Russell Buffalino's bodyguard and driver. Russell Buffalino was the acting boss of the Genovese crime family. Frank Sheeran allegedly acted as a liaison between the families and Hoffa. The story was that he drove to Port Clinton, Ohio, with Buffalino, then flew to the Pontiac, Ma- then flew to the Pontiac Metro Airport in Detroit, mm-hmm. then shot Hoffa. However, you can't just take a private plane to the Pontiac Metro Airport. There's air traffic control. How could you really avoid that and make a landing? There's so much to this story that makes it more than a, a little improbable. Mm. So Frank Sheeran had also made claims that he was involved with the murder of Joey Gallo of the Colombo crime family and allegedly provided guns for the Kennedy assassination. Mm. Let's say he's telling the truth. How did he stay under the radar for so long? Right. Sharon tries to sell his story many times, but his initial story is Sal Bergoglio did it. Mm. So it always seems to fall apart because lies don't pan out. Mm. Finally, in 2003, the story changes to him saying that he did it. And the book I Heard You Paint Houses by Charles Brandt came out, which we may all now recognize as the film adaptation The Irishman. At the time, Sheeran was dying broke and wanted to leave some dollars to the family. So, the Irishman. He's dying, he's broke, he needs to get this out here. So he said, you know what, I'm going to die anyway if they put me in prison for this somehow. It's like, so I'm just going to confess to this. Well, he would get compassionate release too for dying, right? But personally, no, I don't buy it. Organized crime has people and the resources. And I hear Sal Bergulia's voice say those words to me. Why bring someone in from the outside who then rats for this larger of a situation? Let's say he's some full-fledged member, okay? The Omerta is everything that. The Omerta is the code of silence amongst all members of the families, and that forbids divulging insider secrets, most especially to law enforcement. Though Scorsese is not a cop, I'm pretty sure anyone could watch the film. (laughs) So if it were true, it would never have gotten out, in my opinion. He'd have been killed. The story that got out was the curated story that was allowed to get out. But the house that he claimed it took place in doesn't check out either. Mm. There's no DNA or bloodstains left. But the Hoffa hit, if it was mob-connected, there would have been nothing left. And the environment would have been 2,000% controlled, stable, nothing left, no sort of anything that anything took place in it. Right. So I, I don't buy the story. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very convenient wrap-up of the story. 
you know, it took trusted you... friend turns on him because, you know, business is business. Yeah. And kills him. But the idea that all this takes place does seem a little bizarre. It does make sense in the sense of why does he get in the car? That someone he knew and trusted is in the car. But that seems like a very big stretch. But it's an allegation that they were friends. Right. What if I post you a better story? Mm -hmm. I'm yours. We're going to hit theory number two. Who was in the car? Right. How did they get him in the car? There's no struggle witnessed. And with no struggle being witnessed, that means you're right. Someone had to be in that car. Remember, it's the Giacalone brothers. Right. Who he trusted. I have only alibied one. Mm. Billy Giacalone. Where was he? Tony had that excellent alibi. Mayor of nothing. <laughs> but would Hoffa not trust Billy? If Billy said, our bad, Tony's late, hop in. Would that explain why Hoffa would enter a car when he had his own mare? Right. Look, 2022. We know now not to go to the second location. <laughs> but we also use pocket computers to order strangers to drive us places. No one's perfect. <laughs> State police try and find Billy Giacalone the day after Hoffa's disappearance. They cannot locate him. No one saw him all day, etc. Which, dear God, if I am ever needed for an alibi, I'd be fucked. <laughs> I am consistently around like three people and a dog. And immediately their response would be like, manufactured alibi. <laughs> so the belief is Hoffa was taken less than two miles away to Carlo Licata's house. Licata was a member of the Detroit family and he had a house about five minutes away from the Moccas Red Fox. And Hoffa had met the Giacalone brothers there before. Licata was the brother-in-law to the boss, Jack Toko. He also had his house used for many meetings. Like, it was a meetup spot. It's back a little from the street. It had a hillside. You can see a picture of it. Hmm. The thought is, Jimmy Hoffa's body was taken to the sanitation place to be disposed of, hmm. where the Detroiters had contacts. However, it's believed Bergoglio or the Andretta brothers killed him, which remember, those are the same three men that we connected with the Sal Bergoglio story from Picardo's story. Right. And I did tell you they were still involved somewhere. Yes. Central Sanitation, which was owned by several players in the Detroit family, one of those, which was a Caserano, which we know from the drug network back in the day. Right, but from Montreal. Yeah, when they spread out the drug network, you also had stakes in sanitation. So, like, the Detroit family owned a lot of sanitation plants mm. in Detroit. And the family was known for just making bodies disappear because they had the access. Literally the cleanup crew. Literally. So just incineration and boom. What evidence? Shortly after the disappearance, central sanitation burns to the ground. Ooh. Like, oops. <laughs> On the sixth anniversary of the disappearance, so July 30th, 1981, Carlo Licata is found dead in the house Hoffa was allegedly killed in. Two gunshot wounds to the chest. Clearly, this was a suicide. Because that's what it was ruled as. What? What? The gun was found ten feet away from the body. Magic. You know, so I it's like, he turns a gun on yeah. himself, fires two shots, then throws, throws it. Like, yeet. 
just yeah, throws the that gun. second shot just yeeted itself. Maybe he shot himself once, throws the gun, it bounces, and then it shoots him again in the chest. I can't, I can't. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, I could understand one shot, but the second shot? Right. To the chest? To the, not the fat, like, did he want to, like, die slowly? You want to feel it? You know? uh, yeah, he had emotions. It's okay, Carlo. We respect your emotions. <laughs> so notably, did you know, just before his disappearance... Hoffa was scheduled to testify in front of a U.S. Senate committee Ooh. regarding JFK's assassination. No. Oh, the report had named, yep, our old pals from part one, Santo Traficante <laughs> and Carlos Marcelo Ooh. as the most likely involved with the assassination. Now, in part one, those two pointed the finger at him, but the intel says... That the three acted in concert? Now, remember those two witnesses I mentioned earlier in this episode? Johnny Rosselli. Well, he was found stuffed in an oil drum off the coast of Florida. (laughs) And former Chicago boss Sam Giancana. Oh, shot to death while cooking. In his own kitchen. That was the night before they were supposed to testify before the Senate hearings. That was back in Ralph Picardo's story, where Hoffa had been allegedly stuffed in a 55-gallon drum and shipped. So somehow, I don't see the price of shipping being a stumbling block here. (laughs) Johnny Rosselli started talking, and that's when the CIA mob hits on Castro came out, and then there were hearings looking at it. It was understood that Hoffa was cooperating with the committee as well. Mm. That is one of the biggest speculations and the one that I agree with the most. The committee was the actual issue. Jimmy Hoffa was going to go before that committee under oath and say something that someone or some group did not want him to say. He eventually would not be Teamster president again. That's how life works. But you cannot put information back into the bag once it's let out. Right. And if there is one thing Jimmy Hoffa had, it was information. Hmm. Now, there is one update I do want to give you. In 2001, DNA found in Tony Giacalone's son's car. His name is Joey Giacalone. They found DNA matched from hair to Jimmy Hoffa. So that does credibly put Hoffa in the passenger area of Joey Giacalone's Mercury, but was it the day he disappeared? Who's to say? Right. Because course. they were friends. Right. Okay, so those are the theories. Man, those are some good theories. I have another thing we're going to talk about right after, but before we do, well, I'll tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you about the notable places that were searched because they are delightful. <laughs> what do you think? Obviously, you're going to check some sanitation, even though it got burned down you're going to check the sanitation place you're going to check any shipment dock place anything where these potential Mm -hmm. drums could go the house um but what house because when did this information come out i don't know oh good point i guess you would check on the jackaloni's house first which one like which one do you feel is most plausible i feel considering that two other people got murked right before they were going to testify i feel this, I feel the testifying in the committee is the most plausible one because it doesn't make too much. Why would the Jackalones get rid of somebody who already trusted them 
and would probably, if they really wanted to screw with him or get him out of the picture by convincing him, would leave or at least delay running for president. I mean, I feel like if the Jack Williams were like, hey, man, it's a little too hot for you right now. Give it about another four years or so. I feel like they could have convinced Hoffa to, to wait. Hoffa was going to be in prison for 13 years. What's another four years with him garnering more power and brokerage? But do remember that he was starting to kick out organized crime. Right. So, may, I mean, their orders were what their orders were. And it's a question of allegiance now. Right. Did it come from the Detroit boss? Possibly. But it's the question of motive, too. What was he going to say to the committee? Right. That's why, yeah, you're right. I don't think it, I think the presidency of the Teamsters was a sham. Right. And it really comes down to he had the information and they all were like, shit. Right. And they probably found out that he was an FBI informant of some kind. Oh, definitely. And they were like, he needs to go because he's going to squeal because he was not in the, like you said, he did not take the, yeah. He did not believe his soul was going to burn in hell for for um, squealing on him or saying anything that may be unsavory. And who knows? He may not have actually said anything too bad. He might have been willing to go on a some sort of like, yeah, let me just give them something a little bit to, to chase. But it doesn't matter. It's still the yeah. implication that he could. And his allegiance wasn't to organized crime. It was to the Teamster. So whatever he was going to do was going to benefit them. And clearly organized crime was taking advantage of, and they did not want to lose that advantage. Right. So. And he um, probably wasn't very happy about finding out they were aiming for the pension. Because that was one of the big things that they always used to give people. Oh, yeah. And so that's definitely, yeah, I love that we hit the same note, but somehow all of them make sense to me. And I don't think one story or another story is more valid. I think it's probably a mix of almost all of them. You're probably right on that. Sounds like the meat grinder and Chucky. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't think that's really it. You're right. But okay. So we're going to talk about the places that have been searched Okay. for Jimmy Hoffa's body. I think they're amazing. I can't let this episode go without talking about all of the awesome and hilarious places Hoffa's alleged to be. And then legitimately searched. (laughs) Here are nine locations that have actually been investigated to look for Jimmy Hoffa's remains. So first off, shout out to one of my best pals, Jay Holtham, for when I told him that I was going into investigate Jimmy Hoffa, his response was, don't go to the Meadowlands. (laughs) (laughs) So first off is the giant stadium. So it's the most popular urban legend associated with Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance is that he was buried beneath the football stadium at Meadowlands Complex (laughs) in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Shout out to the Garden State. (laughs) So this idea was first floated by a mob hitman named Donald Frankos or Tony the Greek in an interview with Playboy magazine in 1989. So Frankos was an informant who turned state's witness and insisted he had no personal involvement with the murder, but he had been told that two other Jersey, like mob people, almost said purple, two (laughs) other purples responsible for the murder, dismemberment and eventual burial of Hoffa's body beneath one of the stadium's end zones. 
Federal officials and Hoppe's own family voiced their suspicion over the story, but it did not stop from capturing all of our attention. People who supported this theory noted that Hoppe did disappear while the complex was under construction, and his last known public meeting was with reputed, 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 with the- Repudiated? Yeah, was with- New Jersey crime boss Tony Pro. <laughs> so Franco's insisted had it was the one who ordered the hit. The giant stadium theory was put to rest in 2010 when the building was demolished to make way for another sports complex because that's what America needs. <laughs> love it. Love everything about it. It's the funniest thing I have ever heard. I love urban legends more than life. Please tell me more of them. Tweet them at us at T A L K A B T F A C T S. Hilarious. <laughs> and no, the Jersey options do not stop there because in Jersey City, there were 200 FBI agents that were assigned over the past, what, 40 years that this has been going on. Just weeks after Hoffa's disappearance, the FBI began surveillance on a Jersey City landfill. Hmm. Near Hackensack River. I did not know that was a real river. It sounds made up. It does. Hackensack sounds like something that, like, a nickname that Jersey people gave. (laughs) That does. It sounds like something you would call someone, too. Yeah, you Hackensack. (laughs) You're full of Hackensack. It was based on an anonymous tip that Hoffa had been buried there in a 55-pound drum. They soon called off the search... But it was resurrected decades later, and in 2022, the FBI announced it came up empty. (laughs) Aw, shucks. Okay. (laughs) That one made me laugh really hard. Just like, in the dump. Yeah, sure, okay. But we'll we'll try again, (laughs) even though we've dumped a lot. So, I bet you would believe that a lot of these are in Michigan. Well, this one's in Gardena, California. Or is it Gardena? I think it's Gardena. Gardena, California. I live in California. I don't know how to pronounce everything. I'm sorry. I'm a bad Californian. So. Why well, are we out here? Wait, what? Why the way out, out here? Oh, I know you're about to tell me. Yeah. Why all the way out here? Okay. So the search for the vanished Hoffa is in Michigan, right? But rumors surfaced that Hoffa may have been involved with a Gardena businessman. And there were conspiracies that Hoffa had been murdered and buried under the foundation of a poker club and restaurant. It was a local legend for decades until the property was bought by Larry Flint. (laughs) He's a magazine publisher, for those who do not recognize that name. And it was fully excavated and reopened as a casino in 2000. Hoffacino. That's not his name, but I wish it was. (laughs) Let's hit the Michigan ones, okay? So, Hampton, Michigan. There was a 2013 search but not for the first time, or even, like, the second or third. Investigators had gone into this, like, you know, there's several spots that have been combed, honestly. It's like in that space ball gag when they are combing the desert. That's yeah. what it feels like. <laughs> the investigators dug up a backyard pool in the Hamptons Thumb neighborhood <laughs> in search of either Hoffa or evidence regarding his death. Specifically, they're looking for a briefcase supposed to have had a medical syringe and pharmaceutical material that was used to kill Hoffa. Guess what they found? Dirt. (laughs) They would not have kept that. This is the mob. Then again, if you think it's the government, 
who was like, no, nah, we can't let him testify. They wouldn't have kept that. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. It would not be under a background, like a pool. They would have dropped it in a sharps container in a hospital and said, bye. All right. Let's go to Roseville, Michigan. Okay. So okay. we're still. Okay. We're, you know. Yeah. Land of, land of uh, pure Michigan water. Oh. <laughs> in 2012, the FBI gets another Michigan-based tip. Hoffa might have been buried beneath a backyard shed in Roseville. So sonar of the site revealed abnormalities in the soil composition. They decide to drill for samples. Once again, no bones. Mm. No bones. And you know how I feel about a a case until I see the bones. Right. Unsolved. Unsolved. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then we're going to go to Bloomfield, Michigan. Okay. So in 2004, the FBI is back at it again. In suburban Detroit, right? I feel like they're getting onto these like searches very late in the process. Two thousand four is like, I well, mean, these were thirteen. You know, <laughs> uh, back at it again in two thousand four. <laughs> they went to Frank Sheeran's former home. You remember he said that he killed Hoffman in there? Yes. Um. Yeah. No. They did find some blood. Medical examiners examined it, and it was not Hoppus. <laughs> All snap. Then they had a promising lead from Milford, Michigan, mm. and they went to a local horse farm in northwest Detroit. They spent two weeks digging at this site in 2006 before calling it quits. The FBI was very, very close-lipped about it. They said that they may not have located Hoffa's body, but believed it may have been buried there before being moved somewhere else. I would like to state that um, Nefertiti's body may have been buried there before being moved somewhere else. That is as much evidence as I have. (laughs) That's fascinating. Fascinating that they were like, did not deny the possibility. They must have seen something in there. I feel like they were covering their butts for the expense. True. For the two weeks there and the two weeks vacation of digging holes. Oh, yeah. Which I feel like the movie Holes is upset. I was I was going to make an actually I was going to make a joke, but you you beat me to it. We're going to go to the Florida Everglades. Well, (laughs) because that's where Hoffa is. Yeah, that's where he went, you know. I mean, you have alligators there and, get, you know, that that's great, a great, great body, disposal. body disposal. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Actually, pigs probably would have been better. Pigs but... would actually be better. But alligators are close second. I mean, yeah, snap that gator up. So in 1982, there was another mob hitman, Charles Allen, who broke the Amerta. What is it with you guys? Uh, he claimed that he had the inside scoop on what really happened. So he goes before a U.S. Senate committee and testified investigation on Tony Pro and other organized leaders said that Hoffa was shot and killed shortly after the disappearance. His body was ground up, dumped in a steel drum, brought down to Florida, and it was dumped unceremoniously in a nearby swamp. Shortly after testifying, Allen entered the witness protection program. Mm. Of course, that didn't shut him up. He did interviews and shit, and the federal government, however, was doubtful and noted that Allen had a, quote, credibility problem and eagerness to sell the salacious story to the highest bidder. Of course. So the same year that Allen testified before Congress, Jimmy Hoffa was declared legally dead. And for our final and ninth option, this one made me laugh. 
out loud. <laughs> Japan. Wait, what? So one of the most interesting theories surrounding his remains is obviously the one that we definitely can't prove. So as with many of them, it involves his most violent death at the hands of the enemies, a dismembered body, and shipping. <laughs> Always about the shipping. I oh, wonder yeah. how much they had to pay for shipping. Well, rather than a fairly pedestrian burial, <laughs> these pieces were actually compacted even further at a Detroit area factory and then added to locally produced steel used for auto manufacturing. So according to this myth, the controversial labor leader who championed America's unions was exported as an <laughs> auto shipment to Japan. I mean, you can uh, thank history.com for that. (laughs) I mean, that would certainly be a way to insult someone's body who was pro-American making. But what? They actually searched Japan? I don't know. I doubt it. I mean, how weird would that be? Like, you're just driving a Toyota and then you're like, technically Jimmy Hoffa's spirit. Which also would be a great Christine sequel. Like, type sequel. Literally would. Oh, my God. Someone call our agents. Right? Jimmy Hoffa's, like, spirit, like a wraith. Just, in, like, affecting but, like, this. What uh, if you were a blue-collar dude just driving a Toyota, trying to get to work, and then, like, he just pops up next to you, like, take a left. Right. And you're like, all right, dude. Right. And he's all angry because you didn't buy an American-made car. But what if he's like, eh, right. you got to work. You got to work. That's true. He's all, like, bloody and everything, too. Because I don't like... think it's the American-made part. It's just a car. Right. That's a good point. So yeah. American-made steel. Yeah. That they sold. I mean, he'd be cool with that. He's just chilling. He's, like, proud of you for working. Mm-hmm. Join the Teamsters. <laughs> <laughs> Spirit of Hoppe comes in and just, like, join the union. And then, like, you become a Teamster and you have the logo on your car. And he's like, <laughs> don't sell this car, please. <laughs> I don't want to be smushed. Man. So, okay, those are the funny places that they searched for his body. But overall, what do you think? What have you learned? I've learned a lot. I've also learned that, like, it's very easy to disappear somebody when you really want to disappear. When it's the 1970s, yeah. Right, yeah. It's just like there's just not a lot of places, like, not a lot of witnesses, not a lot of people taking pictures of the car. Yeah, it's crazy. But also, what I've learned is how easy. It is to vilify someone without the internet. It really is. It's like, I had no major opinion about Jimmy Hoffman. I'd heard his story through a couple of, like, docs. But I didn't know that, like, like I said before, I think last week, that I just saw him as kind of like a um, very smart criminal who coincidentally did some good things because he was using the union as, like, a criminal front. I did not realize how detached he was from the criminal world that even though he might have done some shady stuff he was not really a mobster as much as he was someone who was affiliated with the mob and yeah very interesting i came out of it from all of my research as he was a very savvy businessman that he was someone who was always kind of the smartest person in the room like not in the way of i'm here to destroy you it's just i'm here to play the game i'm here to 
forward the agendas and I'm upfront about my agenda. Right. You know, and I think that there's a respect for that. No one can say that he did not actually assist the American people because he did. Right. There are so many people in business today that you're like, what have you done? Right. To actually help somebody. Right. I mean, you're seeing a lot of people's true colors as people try to unionize and you see the response to these unionizations. And you're like, even though companies are having record profits, more profits than companies are making in the 40s and the 70s, mm-hmm. they they still don't want... They don't want their workers. They don't want their workers to have a decent wage. And it's so interesting because he was the person who was the worker. And I think that even though people are quick to say, well, he was out for himself. I mean, do you have to be altruistic? Can you not hope for a better life for yourself at the same time of doing good for others? Right. And it's also not like, it's also not like this guy was like a billionaire. I mean, he was doing okay for himself, but so were his workers. It wasn't like he was the only one rising to the top. So it's a, it's a very interesting thing. And also is a good lesson on like, you have to know when to fold your hand because he's back out. He just got, Nixon just gave him a new lease on life. And he probably wouldn't be, he, he probably would have lived a nice long life if he had just gotten out, decided to be kind of affiliated with the Teamsters, and then left. I mean, that would have been the selfish thing to do. I don't know, though, because he got called for the Senate committee, and that's not a choice. That's true. That's true. And that's what I think, I still think is the motivating factor behind his disappearance is the Senate committee. But the thing is, if he had, if he was someone who they felt could be bought, he probably would have been okay if that was the reason. Because they would have been like, hey, when they call you to the Senate, don't say anything. And it'd be like, thumbs up, not going to say anything. I'll say whatever you, whatever script you give me, that's what I'm going to say. Clearly, he was someone who they knew had some integrity with that. And so they were like, oh, no, he yeah. has to go. Because it's like, you know, if he's if, he, if they don't feel that he's going to really jeopardize anything, they're not going to do that. You yeah. Know? It's like, but it also makes me wonder, like, again, it's the question of was it a mob hit or was it more like the CIA saying, like, we don't want this guy. He knows too yeah. much. And considering everything that we learned about the fact that he got an okay from Eisenhower to do these things and he got okays it's very hard for me to be like well shame on you no like not really though like the, the president's telling you it's okay why is he in this position to begin with you know right. it's just so bonkers to me when you look at this laterally as everything that is happening in the country and the things that you do find out he's involved in or potentially involved in or what he's being potentially framed for right because we don't know if he was involved in the JFK assassination. Obviously, we don't We don't know anything about it concretely, I would say. Right. I mean, we do, but we don't, you know? Right. Nothing that saying? can really tie anyone, which is probably how they want it. Yeah. You know? Hoffa, at very, you know, at the very least, Hoffa seems like a very convenient fall guy. That That's the thing. He was also a very convenient villain that they created. What I took away from the story was... Who else are we buying as villains when that's not who they were? Right. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. And this one, I'm glad that I sat down and asked myself, why is this funny? Because now I'm like, this is not funny at all. But they turned him into 
a joke. Right. And they turned unions into a joke. They turned right. them into bad guys. Right. Like, I oh, remember unions are just like fancy word for mafia. Yeah, and that's not it at all. Now we're trying to redo so much. I am glad that we took the time to talk about it. Right. We talked about those facts. That's nice. I like it. This is why I love your show. Stop it. This is why I love being on it. I'm learning so much. I'm thinking about so much. You know, it's like, it's a great thing. I'm probably now, I mean, I've already been put on the CIA watch, so I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Well, we're both writers and filmmakers, and the things that we have Googled. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm writing a horror film right now. Um, knives. <laughs> right, right. It's like, oh, how much, how much did C4 would it take to do this? And you're like, that's, I should not have searched that. Oh, man. I should not have searched that. You know, it's like, look, I tell people all the time, it's like, because I'm sure, you know, my, F, my assigned FBI agent or CIA agent is listening in. And I always tell them, look, I'm not going to do anything. I just want to make movies. That's when you know they're listening. They're listening, man. I (laughs) find that fucking hilarious. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you so much for enduring multiple hours of Jimmy Hoffa discussion and content where I just yelled at you for (laughs) for tens of minutes on end (laughs) about guess what I found out. Thank you, audience, for also listening to a two-parter, a rarity among my episodes. I am Elizabeth Fury, your host and nightmare-inducing friend. (laughs) And with me today was the delightful... Matthew Robinson. And we will be, again, appearing somewhere in the regions of the world. (laughs) And tune in next week to hear me discuss something. Goodbye. (laughs) Nice. <laughs> Did you know that just before his disappearance, Hoffa was scheduled to testify? <laughs> <laughs> testify. Testify. That was bad. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Noted. But the FBI couldn't seem to suss out whether or not this witness's information had been influenced by head, head blah, 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 blah. You good? <laughs> Now we're going to talk about Tony Palazzo. Oh. No, that's not his name. It's P- Tony Palazzolo. Okay, it's like those Vegas hotel okay, notes. No. <laughs> I can't speak. Let me, let me do that one again. One of which was, this is going to be awkward because I'm going to have to cut it because I forgot to write his name down. Funny story. <laughs> one time I went with like my coworkers and a boss to like karaoke. No, it wasn't karaoke. It was like a trivia night at a bar, like the Glendale Taps or whatever. And I can't remember how this happened. I just know it did. There was a point where he couldn't remember something, but he looked up on his phone, why does it hurt when I pee? And it was like, he thought it was like a Frank Zappa song. I think that was it. But I was like, oh man, rip to your ads. Yeah. Rip to your ads. (laughs) It was just like, I, I looked at him and was like, I cannot believe you just Googled that. What do you think was going to pop up? Oh. But at the same time, I have done shit like that where I'm like, I know this song lyric. Boop, boop, boop. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was by Snoop. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs>